show the truckers podcast this is the 197th episode of the truckers podcast soon to hit for me the milestone of 200 shows in just over 15 months of being out here talking to you and you joining me. And I gotta say, I couldn't have done this without you. And I thank you very much for joining me here and listening to my show. So this evening, you know, for the first time in months, since before Christmas that I went out to a local pub downtown here in the city of London to enjoy food and friends and watch a hockey game on the big screen and how exciting that was for me. And with the reopening act that we have here in Ontario, things seem to be improving. And even in those areas in the gray lock zone, like Toronto, Brampton and Mississauga, they're able to open their patios today, have outdoor dining, in which was just beautiful weather out there today to mark the first day of spring. And I'm really happy for them. I really truly am. You know, because Brampton, Mississauga, Peel region, they have been in lockdown since the 23rd of November. 
And now the restaurants and the bars are able to open up their patios to get some patrons. And I'm, I'm really hoping, I, I truly am really hoping that we can just keep moving forward and we don't have to, you know, look fate in the eyes. Because here across Canada, ladies and gentlemen, in the, in the year from last March till now, that here in Canada, we have lost over 10,000 small businesses. Permanently. And I don't want to see any more of that. And no government wants to see that. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So just a few moments here before you came on the show. Um, here in in, uh, in Canada, in, in, in the province of Ontario, uh, where I reside. Some big changes have, have come along um, in the Reopening Act for small business, non-essential businesses. In like Toronto, Mississauga, in Brampton, which is part of the Peel region, they are in the gray lockdown, which means non-essential business can open, restaurants can open. But starting this weekend, the government of Ontario is allowing patios and bars and restaurants to open up. Still no indoor dining in those areas, but giving them the opportunity to open. And like I said, in this country here in Canada, there has been over 10,000 small business, non-essential, has closed their doors forever. in this last year. Small business has has suffered way too much. Non-essential business. All those who had to shutter their doors, well, the big box stores get to reap all the benefits. How fair is that? But this weekend here in our reopening act here in Ontario, it, it, you know, the first day of spring 
and the beautiful weather that we have had today and the weather that we are going to have throughout this whole entire weekend of the first weekend of spring that Toronto and Mississauga Brampton even though there are they are in the gray lockdown they are able to have their patios so people can go and dine I look at it as a really good thing because Toronto, Brampton, Mississauga has been in lockdown since the 23rd of November. Where other regions here in Ontario were able to open up before them. The struggles, the sacrifices, economically and not just for the business but for the employees of these businesses of all the sacrifices that they have to make on the, uh, uh, the employment insurance was thankfully the government has extended for a period of time. But the loss of income, tips, whatever the case may be, has been catastrophic. Well, I mean, I can't even imagine the hardships of people who work in the industries, in the food industries, in bars and restaurants, the income that they have lost, it can't be made up. Unemployment is not gonna make up those losses. And even though people are back to work, they're not getting their full-time hours. And I talk to people, and I know people who work in the food industry, restaurant, bar industry. They possibly could be up to 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week. And there's still a lot of staff that's not going to be called back. And probably for some time. Now, starting today, Saturday, um, you know, here in Ontario, being the largest province in, in Canada, there's still areas um, that are in the gray lock zone, uh, lockdown zone here in London, Ontario, where I reside. Um, we are in the orange restrict. Hey, thank you for joining me. Now, as I said on my podcast before, um, you can 
um, look up the Ontario um, Reopening Act. And you can find there the, the uh, color codes um, that we are using here in Ontario. Now, like here in the city of London, uh, being in the um, orange restrict the color zone, it was only allowed to be um, 50 people in a bar or restaurant. You could have 25 people in your backyard if your backyard could handle 25 people with safe social distancing. Or you could have 10, up to 10 people in your household. Now, just announced the other day for the bars and restaurants who are in, well, like here in London, in the orange restrict, we can now have up to 100 people in a bar or restaurant. In the gray zone lockdowns, they're allowed to have their patios open for dining. No indoor dining, but just outside. I feel this is a good first start because the bars and restaurants and, and, and non-essential businesses in the city of Toronto, in Mississauga, in Brampton, they have been in lockdown since the 23rd of November. Top medical officers here in Ontario has announced that we are now entering a third wave of this pandemic. Doctors alike are saying that it's safer to be outside. Now, not all bars and restaurants have that capacity of 100 people, but there are bars obviously out there that have that capacity of 300 people in a bar. But if you can have people sitting on your patio, at least it's a start. It's been really tough. It's been really tough for all of us. And all the sacrifices that we had to make. Mentally, financially. As employees, as in small business. This past year, has just been very, very difficult. 
from the first initial lockdown to some openings last spring and throughout the summer. And then they're always talking about, you know, the fall is going to be tough and the winter is going to be tougher. And they weren't wrong about that. The winter was excruciating for small business, for non-essential businesses. And like for Toronto and Mississauga and Brampton, going into lockdown on the 23rd of November, the rest of the province went to lockdown on the 26th of December. And just only in the past couple of weeks have we slowly implemented reopenings for non-essential services, small businesses. But there was never a problem for the big box stores the Costco's, the Walmart's, and so on. They never had to lock down. So tonight was my very first time that I went downtown here in the city of London, Ontario. to join a few friends for some beverages, some food in a hockey game since before Christmas. And I can honestly tell you that it was the best beer that I ever tasted. Because there's nothing like a beer in a pub or your favorite restaurant. And all the sacrifices that I've made throughout this pandemic is not socializing with anybody outside of my family unit. Social distancing, wearing a mask. is something that we all had to adapt to. But of course, we have the anti-maskers, the anti-ralliers that's something that was going to happen anyways 
people out there thinking that this is against their human rights. Your opinions are your opinions. You can think whatever you want. But let's not forget how many people has lost their lives all over the world due to COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2. This is reality. This is what's happening all over the world. Countries around the world are still in lockdown. Here in North America, we know what's happening in the United States of America. We know what happened with the handling of the pandemic in the United States of America. And before Donald Trump left office, there were somewhere around 400,000 people who have died because of COVID-19. At the hands of Donald Trump and his handling of the pandemic. Now people out there are gonna disagree and that's fine. You disagree, you do what you want, whatever. Here in Canada, of course we have critics like everybody else. They criticize our government of handling of the pandemic from the onset. When should we have locked down and when we should have not have locked down? How much did we really know about it? When did we know about it? I did an episode the other day of that the pandemic was actually a near miss that we would never even heard about it. And you can check that episode, that episode from the other day. My opinion on the handling of this pandemic in Canada is that with the information that the government had at the time, I don't think there's any other party in the government that would have done anything different. And when the official initial lockdown happened here in Canada back last March, right away the government 
had a rescue plan to help all Canadians financially. And that was the emergency recoverment benefit of $2,000 a month. This was immediate. There wasn't any argument from any of the other parties in government. There wasn't any argument how long it was going to last. All parties were on board here in Canada to help every single Canadian who was affected by this pandemic and these lockdowns. And I criticized the critics. Because in my opinion, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And those out there who complain about wearing a mask and social distancing, that this is against your human rights. You know, in fact, I even looked up the Constitution of Canada about what the government can do and cannot do. And I wasn't surprised to find out what I was looking for. And that, in fact, it says in the Constitution of Canada when it comes to pandemics, they can enforce the rules that they're imposing on us at this point in time. So all you anti-maskers and all you anti-ralliers You need to get the facts. And we all seen it out there. All the big rallies going on around the world. About wearing a mask. About not being able to open up your business. When in fact. In the clauses of the Constitution here in Canada, when it comes to an emergency health crisis, the government can, in fact, impose these restrictions. And don't think for one second they haven't consulted legally because they have. They're not just doing this out of spite. They're not just doing this because they're the government. They're doing this because they legally can. And they can legally impose 
finds to those who break the rules. The government is not walking a fine line. They're walking the line and they're going by the rules of what they can and cannot do. It's tough for everybody. Mentally and financially. Canada is one of the richest countries in the world. But where does the government get this money from? They get it from taxpayers. So we're all paying the price for this. And I ask myself, why are we in other countries around the world paying the price for this? We know where this, this virus originated from. We know that the government of China was trying to sweep this under the carpet. We know that if we lay blame on the Chinese government, that they are only gonna plead victim. So what do we do? You know, the government is going to spend billions, if not trillions of dollars on the economic, on the economical part of this pandemic. And the future individuals, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are going to pay for this. Now, this topic here is a look at how the Canadian government spends on tracking and studying viruses like COVID-19. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So how the government spends on tracking and studying this virus like COVID-19. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues, to wreak havoc across the country here in Canada. Experts have said long-term and consistent funding to trace and study these types of emerging diseases 
is needed in order to prevent another large-scale outbreak. How much money does the federal government spend to track and study these types of emerging diseases? Now, in a statement emailed to the Global News, the Public Health Agency of Canada, called FAC, is responsible for a number of things, including research, surveillance, and monitoring, and risk assessment, development, as well as modeling and responding to outbreaks. FAC is also the body tasked with laboratory reference and diagnostic services and providing education and awareness to the public. According to Health Canada, the federal government spends 22 million in annual funding for programs or research to identify and track emerging diseases like the novel coronavirus. $22 million. Last spring, when the entire country went down into lockdown and the government came up with a financial plan to help Canadians who were affected, the emergency recovery benefit of $2,000 a month we spent $22 million within days. And this is spent annually for these programs. Are you flipping kidding me? This includes 13 million for Zunatic infection diseases, those which jump from animals or insects to humans. This is including 4 million for the infectious disease and climate change program and 2 million for the Canadian Lyme Disease Research Network. The government of Canada also spends 7 million annually for surveillance and laboratory reference services for Lyme disease and other diseases spread by ticks. $22 million for that. It's like we never saw this coming. As a matter of fact, we didn't see this coming. If you listened to my episode last night, I talked about a pandemic that almost didn't happen. 
you may want to uh, check out that that show from last night. But twenty-two million dollars. This is what our government is spending the money on. What I just mentioned to you. Like who knew a hundred years later, you know, from the, the 1918 outbreak of, of, of the Spanish flu, who knew a hundred years or 102 years later that we would see another pandemic. And further, Health Canada said the federal government spends approximately $9 million in dedicated funding to e- emerging diseases, both respiratory and zoonotic, through the Center for Immunization of Respiratory Infection Diseases in the National Microbiology Laboratory. Laboratory. And the agency says that this money is used for monitoring and assessing the risk of emergency respiratory diseases. Well, COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2, is a respiratory disease. And respiratory diseases within Canada and internationally as well as the detection and treatment of viral zoonoses, rabies, and uh, uh, I'm not sure how I'm pronouncing this correctly, but uh, rickettsia in the development of short and long-term countermeasures to emergency Um, the uh, pathogenic agents like SARS-CoV-2. And Health Canada goes on to say that the money is also used to monitor and, and, and investigate prion diseases, which affect both humans and animals by causing proteins in the brain to fold, to fold enormity. Oh, maybe like mad cow disease. I see some more people come on the show. I, I, I welcome you to my show. And um, while I'm reading this article, I, I kind of see things out of, out, out of the corner of my eye uh, on my monitor. Thank you for joining me. Um, just to give you some insight. Um, I'm talking about um, a look at how much the uh, Canadian government spends on tracking and studying viruses like COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2. Now, the money now. Here, here, here's the thing. 
annually Canada is only spending $22 million on, on tracking and tracing and studying um, different viruses, Lyme disease and, and sort of like that. $22 million annually. And at the beginning of this pandemic, it last March, when Canada went into this full-blown lockdown, and they had the emergency recovery benefit for Canadians who lost their jobs. In 24 hours, it was more than $22, $22,000, sorry, 22 22 bucks yeah okay 22 million in 24 hours now you imagine two thousand dollars a month for canadians who were affected by this lockdown in 24 hours they spent more than 22 million dollars helping canadians financially and they're only putting 22 million dollars in, in, in to finance these programs. That's sad. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here reading this, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm shocked. That's not even dropping in the bucket of what the government has spent in the last year helping Canadians financially. This is just mind blowing. And I'm sitting here and, and this is the first time that I'm actually reading this article. And, and, and giving you this information. Health Canada says the money is also used to monitor and investigated Prion diseases, which affect both humans and animals by causing proteins in the brain to fold abnormally. Like I said, possibly mad cow disease. The money is also spent on passive and active surveillance aimed at predicting the emergence, controlling the spread, and reducing the public health impact of vector-borne diseases such as Lyme disease, West Nile viruses, all this $22 million, and like I said, we've never seen this coming. So how much more do you think the Canadian government is going to spend? Do you think $22 million is enough to put in these programs in the future to prevent another pandemic that'll never be nearly enough? I think this is going to be an eye opener 
not just for governments here in Canada, but around the world. Of that, not just spending money on to monitor and investigate possible infestations in humans and animals. How about the national alert system? And alerting the countries around the world that there's an outbreak somewhere and you better get prepared for it. Did the world learn anything from the Spanish flu back in 1918? After it was all said and done, you know, did we just push it aside? Saying, ah, that'll never happen again. That'll never happen in a million years. You know, back in 1918, till right up to 1920, of the Spanish flu outbreak worldwide, they had no vaccines. And there wasn't going to be any vaccines. Vaccines didn't in, in, involve until 1940. The World Health Organization, governments around the world, whether it's a hundred years later or whatever the case may be, when did we learn about the early indications of this virus? What were they looking at? What were they looking for? Now my, my, my uh, last episode was that, was this by chance? Could have been, could have been a near miss. It only took one person, ladies and gentlemen, to spark to to start spreading, and then eventually spreading around the world. Epidemics, pandemics. Well, here we are worldwide. A hundred and two, well, initially, a hundred and two years later. Whoever would have thunk that?
we never even seen it coming. And spending $22 million annually on these things that I just mentioned is appalling. How about considering and researching the Spanish flu outbreak? Could this possibly happen again? And not being ignorant about it, but looking at the possibility with the growth of population and where potentially a virus could happen. As whenever there are plans to increase the annual funding to track and study zoonotic viruses, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, Health Canada said these types of diseases remain a priority for the government of Canada due to their potential risk to human health and possibly a sudden case surges and or outbreaks. Did I just, did I just say that? We never looked at this before. We never even consider it. We never even thought about it. We never even thought about another potential pandemic. Nowhere around the world, ladies and gentlemen, not just here in Canada. People born afterwards of, of the of the of the uh, Spanish flu outbreak, it was probably never thought about again. And generations after generations until we come along, growing up as kids. There was never ever a thought in the back of your mind or your parents' minds or your grandparents' minds that we, we, the world would never ever witness another pandemic. We would live our lives and we would go on that this was, would never ever happen again. The freedom that we enjoy has been sacrificed and sacrificed by so many in the words of the meaning of sacrifice, of the sacrifices that we have to make 
never in my wildest dreams as growing up. Never even a thought in my mind of a pandemic, a virus that could kill us ever. We grew up as kids, free as we are, not a care in the world. Our parents went to work every day. We went to school. We played with everybody. And now here we are, that generation, after our parents retire, if you're in the same generation as I am, and working and living and enjoying life. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that the world again would be in this predicament? Fact. P-H-A-C will closely consider the lessons learned from COVID-19 pandemic as it explores ways to strengthen Canada's capacity to anticipate, track, detect emerging diseases and protect the health and safety and well-being of Canadians. Seriously, I guess we learn nothing about history. I guess we learned nothing about history. The closely monitor and, and learn from this pandemic Nobody learned anything about the Spanish flu pandemic, which is a respiratory illness. I guess we learn nothing about history. That's my opinion. And only spending $22 million annually in research and investigating viruses here in Canada. Now that I'm reading this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm appalled. $22 million annually. And in one day, like I said, last March, when, they, when the government comes out with this emergency recovery benefit, $2,000 a month for Canadians who are affected by the pandemic and the lockdowns, 
it cost them more than $22 million in one day than $22 million annually to study this. What have we learned? To me, we, to me, we haven't learned a damn thing. Now this person here, he's the chief of an infection and control at the University of, of Guelph's Veterinarian College and former Canada Research Chair in zoonotic diseases said funding for research to identify and track emerging, uh, emergency diseases must be sustained over a long term. Well, did we do this over a long term? Did we do this over a long term since the Spanish flu? No, I don't think we did because, you know, it seems that after so long, pro many years, that the Spanish flu was forgotten about. That something like that would never, ever happen again on this planet. It makes no sense to put all this money in now and then and in five years say, okay, well, it's going to be a hundred years for the next virus to come out. So we're good for a while. We don't need to spend the money on it right now. What does that sound like to you? We should have done this a long time ago. Canada here, we should have done many things differently a long time ago, but we didn't. Hell, we don't, we don't even, even make vaccines here in Canada. And shame on Canada. We have pharmaceuticals here in Canada that makes prescription drugs, but not vaccines. And now we're going to start doing this? When decades and decades passed, we could have been doing this a long time ago. Making vaccines. But we opt out of it. And here we are behind in vaccinating the population of Canadians. And people are blaming the government because we're behind. Right from the get-go, Canada started putting money into Pfizer and Moderna, procuring these vaccinations. 
not knowing when these vaccinations will become available because even even the scientists back last spring, they had no idea when these vaccines will be uh, become available because they had to do all the trials and see how things happened and see how things progressed and the results. It could have been years down the road before we even seen a vaccine. Miraculously, Pfizer and Moderna to come out with the vaccine. Canada spent millions of dollars to purchase these vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer because these these were the only two at the time. Now, when the first doses started to arrive in Canada, we were just ecstatic. This was just a godsend. Things were looking up. Now, with the rollout, you know, we're we're not, you know, getting enough. And for the vaccines that Canada was promised on the early onset, Pfizer needed to upgrade their facility in Europe in order to meet the demands. And of course you have the opposition parties complaining and critics alike complaining when in fact it's not the government's fault. Now the government knew that Pfizer needed to upgrade their facilities. Well, that's a different story. But we didn't see it coming. And like other countries around the world, see this shortfall of vaccines, these critics can lay blame because they don't look at any other information. They just look at the failure of the government on purchasing these vaccines. They ignore the fact that Pfizer and Moderna had to upgrade these facilities in order to make to meet the demands. Then we got a whole world population here, ladies and gentlemen, of approximately almost 8 billion people. A population of 37 and a half million people here in Canada compared to 348 million people in the United States. 
They make vaccines in the United States. We don't, we don't do that here in Canada. And I'm almost ashamed that we don't make vaccines here in Canada when over decades and decades of every single government changing hands and nobody doing nothing, doing anything about say, hey, you know what? Maybe we should start making vaccines here in Canada. And then we're saying, what for? There's nothing to make vaccines for. We buy our our, our uh, flu vaccines from other countries. There's nothing else to worry about. Why would anybody even look at a picture like that? Why would anybody not even think further down the road that potentially Hey, we could have a problem on our hands. You know, SARS, everybody heard about SARS. Everybody heard about Ebola. Everybody's heard about MERS. We were probably lucky to scave any of those off. SARS, for instance, could have been an outbreak. Ebola could have been an outbreak. We're probably very lucky that it didn't happen. So we did nothing. Ah, we got it under control. It's okay. It's gone. Don't worry about it. Nothing's going to come along that's going to affect the country. Nothing's going to come along that's going to affect the world. Nobody thinking further down the road. Nobody spending money or nobody here, like here in Canada, $22 million annually for investigating other diseases, Lyme disease, $22 million, that's it? Imagine how much taxpayers pay annually. $22 million? I'm shocked. Reading this article here for the very first time, to know that Canada is only spending $22 million annually. I really hope that this is an eye opener to the, to the Canadian government. You know, you're taking our tax dollars and only $22 million of this is going to, to investigate Lyme disease and other diseases like that. And do you think it'll be another hundred years before another pandemic will happen? 
God, I hope it never happens again. For the first time in our lifetimes that we're experiencing this, I couldn't even imagine, ladies and gentlemen, what people went through in 1918. There was no hope. They, they, they couldn't do anything except to let it run its course. Because there was no vaccine and there wasn't going to be a vaccine. We can consider ourselves lucky that even last year when they were talking about vaccines and the scientists were saying not in a year, you're not gonna see a vaccine in a year. Couple years down the road, five years, we might come up with a vaccine. But the scientists, they didn't give up. They didn't quit on us. They didn't say, okay, you know what? Five years, we're gonna come up with a vaccine and only work on it enough that it would only be five years. These scientists went around the clock 24 hours a day for us. And then to come up with a vaccine, what was it, December? Man, I, I applaud. I, you know, it's just to hear even that we even have a vaccine as soon as we have. I mean, it just, man, it just gives me some sort of relief. Yes, we have potentially a long haul still ahead of us. But with these vaccines rolling out, whether it's, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson and others, at least we have something. And to get the needles in the arms as fast as we can. Here in Canada and, you know, North America, United States, you know, we're, we're in a race against time. Now at the beginning of these vaccines, you know, when they did, when they did, they uh, did the trials and everything, they're saying, you know, Pfizer is saying that, you know, um, you get your first dose and it's 21 to 30 days before your second dose. And that's how it all started. When countries were getting the vaccine and, and we're following protocol. And here we, you know, here we go into a second wave. And not just Canada, but other countries around the world going to a second lockdown. 
And, you know, they're trying to follow protocol. And, you know, they're going by retirement homes, nursing homes, uh, people who work in there, doctors, nurses, and everything to get their first inoculation. And then saying that, okay, um, you know, we got to speed this process up. And so, you know, so for the people um, who got their first doses of the Pfizer, for an example, um, in retirement homes, nursing homes, staff, medical, you know, you would get your second dose within 21 to 30 days. And that took place. And then essential caregivers were able to get their vaccinations. And then um, NACI, NACI, said that um, we could extend the wait time for Pfizer and Moderna up to four months. So anybody after all these places that I just mentioned who got their first and second doses, anybody after that who had received the Pfizer or Moderna because they both need two shots, now we'll have to wait up to 16 weeks for their second shot so that we can get more people inoculated. Get as many needles in the arms as we possibly can. try to play catch up and getting Canadians vaccinated. You know, the United States is well ahead of us. Other countries are well ahead of us. And that's fine. That's great. Canada needs to spend a whole lot more money on research, but I just mentioned here, $22 million annually. I think when this pandemic is finished, I think Canada is gonna learn a lesson. I really hope that Canada is gonna learn a lesson. And maybe it's not just Canada. Maybe other countries have spent just as much. Maybe they spent more. Maybe they spent less. I don't know. I'm just telling you what Canada spends. And $22 million is nothing to spending on the research of ticks and fleas and whatever the hell you want to call it. 
Lyme disease. Obviously, this virus is worse than Lyme disease. And the disease and climate change program. Well, I think it was like a total of four different things that Canada is spending $22 million on annually. That is just absolutely a joke. And reading this for the first time, I'm surprised. I mean, I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked. That is that. $22 million? Wow. I mean, when I was, I looked at it before, you know, I was going to talk about it and I thought, you know what, this is, <laughs> this is definitely going to be an episode. Absolutely was going to be an episode and, uh, wow. I really hope we here in Canada, I really hope that we have learned our lesson. Not only just spending $22 million on what I just mentioned, but making our own vaccination, our own vaccines here in Canada. Which should have been done a long time ago. Not rely on other countries to purchase vaccines, you know, for the flu. Now, with this pandemic going on, what happened to the flu season? How many people? around the world contracted the, the flu. Here in Canada, it was basically non-existent. Imagine that. The United States, pretty much non-existent. I mean, there probably be some Flu, flu cases here and there. We had some flu cases here and here, here and there in Canada. But not like we've seen over the years. Relatively, I think we had maybe 25 cases in the entire country of the flu here in Canada. People wearing masks, people social distancing, people sanitizing, washing their hands. Maybe when flu season, oh, or let's let's put it this way, maybe when this you know when this pandemic is over, and then you know coming September, let's say you know flu season might be starting. We're getting into the fall. Maybe this is the time when people need to be wearing a mask, social distancing, 
sanitizing their hands. And the flu virus won't be able to spread. Wouldn't that be something? They say practice social distancing right from the get-go. A year into the pandemic and we still have to practice? I mean, athletes practice every day. Do we need to practice social distancing? Do we need to practice wearing a mask? Do we need to practice sanitizing our hands? I think we know enough. I think we understand that let's put the mask aside for a moment, social distancing aside for a moment, but sanitizing our hands every single day. I mean, you were told that since you, since you were a kid. You got up in the morning, you washed your face, your hands, brushed your teeth, went to school, you come home, and what did your mom and dad tell you to do before dinner? Wash your hands. Something we've done all our lives. But we never expected that we'd have to wear a mask. We never thought that everybody would have to wear a mask to go into a bank. We only thought bank robbers did that. And it was kind of funny in a way because I took my father to the bank last week. And before we got out of the car, I said to my dad, I said, we gotta put our mask on before we go into the bank. That's just, <laughs> that's just hilarious. Wear a mask to go into the bank. Unbelievable. I never thought I would ever see the day that I, would have to wear a mask to go into a bank. So that's kind of funny. That, 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 that's funny. And I'm sure maybe yourselves, you know, you probably thought about that. You pulled up to your local bank and you're sitting in your car and you're getting your, your wallet out and, and you're getting all your, maybe your checks or whatever, your bills or whatever you got to do. You shut your car off and you put your mask on to go into a bank. That's just, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny in a way, you know. So I will leave this with you. Thank you 
for joining me tonight. And uh, I will be back out tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And uh, I hope you can join me. And if you can, I understand. That's okay. Have yourself a great evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I am your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Good night. Have uh, a great Sunday, the rest of your weekend. And uh, take care and be safe. Good night, everybody. And thank you.